up, everybody? Hello. How are you? Okay. Church people never cease to amaze me, I tell you. Everyone's like, is, did he really mean how are we doing? Should we really talk back? How are you doing? Oh, my gosh, right. Okay, thank you. Um, my name's Eric. Welcome to, to E3. And uh, this is the, I think, the fourth uh, or fifth week of this series. And we're going to be talking today about anger. Uh, but I want to get a couple sort of business things out of the way, first of all, before we do that. Uh, you guys may have seen these handouts outside. I think you got them with your fridge full. This is the menu, so to speak, of our Holy Week activities. Holy Week is the, is the week that remembers Jesus' final days of his ministry and his suffering and his crucifixion and then eventually his resurrection on Easter. Uh, it's my opinion that Easter becomes infinitely more meaningful and rich when you walk through the events of Good Friday. You know, when you get to the celebration uh, with having walked some of the tough parts of Jesus's journey, the celebration is infinitely more rewarding. So the, we're going to be doing a variety of different activities, and I just want to tell you about them real quick. Thursday night, we're doing uh, something called a, a Passover Seder. Anybody ever participated in a, in a Seder? A few of you guys. Uh, what it is is uh, Jesus's last supper, the thing that we take communion from, the sacrament of communion from, was essentially a, a Seder. It's a celebration, the remembrance of Passover, which happens in the book of Exodus. So in the final days of Jesus's life, he gathers his disciples together. They celebrate a Seder together. And it's really, really rewarding and rich. It tells the story of God's redemption of, of the Jewish people. And we're gonna be celebrating a Seder here on Thursday night. Pastor Mark is gonna be leading us through it. So if you've ever wondered maybe what that last supper would have looked like and felt like to the disciples of Jesus, you can come to that. Now, seating is limited. Like you can't just show up to this thing because there's food associated and there's seating associated. So you need to sign up through our online community called CCB. There's a link on our front page. Go through it if you wanna go. If you have trouble doing that, talk to somebody at the Pathways booth. At nine o'clock after the Seder, we are going to be doing a prayer vigil together. We're gonna to be praying as a church for somewhere along the lines of 22 hours. So all night, Thursday night, uh, all day Friday, up until our Good Friday gatherings. Uh, there's a sign-up sheet also out there at the Pathways booth. There'll be another sign-up sheet next week. What we'd like to do is have every single hour of the day filled uh, there are, I typically put three slots in there per hour so multiple people can come and sign up for that. Listen, um, we are particularly going to be concerned, obviously, with the overnight hours, you know, that midnight to 4 a.m. slot. So I don't wanna be weird about this, but particularly we're gonna be looking for having at least some kind of mail presence or a staff presence all night. So if you're willing to like say, man, I'm just gonna suck it up. I'll do a 1 a.m., a 2 a.m. if you're a guy, just to provide some security. It's not weird or anything like that. Uh, but we just want to be people to be safe. But sign up for that. And then Good Friday is going to be something called Tenebrae. Tenebrae is an ancient uh, liturgical gathering. It goes back to about 800 A.D. It's called the Service of Shadows. And it walks through the final hours of Jesus's life in a very symbolic way. 
Uh, it's a very different gathering than what we do on a Sunday, mor- Sunday uh, morning, but we have found it to be really great. And then obviously Easter, we're gonna celebrate together. So it's just gonna be a great week. So lean into those, lean into those offerings that we're, we're given for you. Um, Friday night is just a worship gathering. You don't need to sign up for that. Just show up, but Thursday Seder, sign up. Uh, the, the vigil, sign up at the Pathways booth. So one other comment. I just realized this. Um, our, our, our seven deadly sins are, are only six, I gotta tell you. So we're not gonna be dealing with envy because Pastor Mark actually dealt with envy in the series before that. So if you're curious to what we would say about envy, go back to, I think the series was called uh, Intentional Acts of Discipleship. He talks a huge, does a huge message on envy. So we're talking about anger and then he's gonna close it up next week with uh, pride. So to talk about anger today, I wanna look at a story from Jesus's life in the gospel of Mark. So if you have a Bible and you wanna turn to Mark chapter three, that's where we're gonna be in the first six verses and the scripture will be on the screens as well and it's on your fridge fold. So check these words out with me. Jesus went into the synagogue again and he noticed a man with a deformed hand. Since it was the Sabbath, Jesus's enemies watched him closely. If he healed the man's hand, they planned to accuse him of working on the Sabbath. So the Jewish people, Sabbath was a really, really big deal to them. Uh, They didn't just make up this whole idea of not working on the Sabbath. This comes handed down actually from God himself. In the Old Testament, he was very clear God was about not working on the Sabbath. And he was clear about this for a couple different reasons that I think are really, really cool. It wasn't just an arbitrary rule. There are two basic rules that God said, don't work on the Sabbath. The first one was that God created the world in how many days? Six. What did he do on the seventh? He rested. He kicked back. He watched golf. He watched NASCAR, whatever it is that God does when he rests. But God said to his people, hey, because I rested on the seventh, you rest on the seventh. You need to imitate me. But then, even more interestingly enough, God said, you need to rest on the Sabbath because once in Egypt, God's people were slaves. And you know what slaves don't get to do? Rest. And so God says, you need to rest on the Sabbath because you're not slaves anymore. So as an act of identity and defiance, don't do any work because you're free now. And so over the the centuries, it became very important to maintain this idea of not working on the Sabbath. And the religious leaders came up with all these ways to help people figure out, were you working or were you not working? But it was a big deal to violate the Sabbath. And what is going on in this section of Mark is there are actually all these stories, about three of them in a row, of Jesus messing with the Sabbath rules and pushing at the religious leaders. And so they're watching him in the synagogue. There's a guy there and then it says, Jesus said to the man with the deformed hand, come and stand in front of everyone. And then he turned to his critics and asked, does the law permit good deeds on the Sabbath or is it a day for doing evil? Is this a day to save life or to destroy it? But they wouldn't answer him. And he looked around at them angrily and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And then he said to the man, hold out your hand. So the man held out his hand and it was restored. At once the Pharisees went away and met with the supporters of Herod to plot how to kill 
Jesus. So there's just a couple things going on that I think it's interesting to acknowledge if you're looking at this uh, in context and looking for what it actually is going on in this story. So I'm gonna highlight them. Um, first thing I want you to know is that both Jesus and his critics, they're not really dialoguing about the Sabbath. Each of them know the answers to the questions that Jesus is asking them already. You know, when Jesus asked them, is it lawful or good to do evil or to do good on the Sabbath? Is it, is it better to save a life or to destroy it? These are not questions that they don't know the answer to because there's a long tradition in the Bible and in the rabbinical literature that they would have said, it is always good to heal on the Sabbath. It is never okay to not help somebody in need on the Sabbath. The Sabbath rules, you could, you could push them aside if there was someone who was in pain or a life needed to be saved. That was not at issue, right? There's something else going on here. The Pharisees know that. Jesus knows that. But Jesus does this thing where he sets up this black or white issue and he lets them, you can only answer the question, yes or no. Is it better to save life or is it better to take life? But understand what else is going on. Because he calls this guy up in front of the church, which I actually feel sorry for the guy, right? Because he just came to church that day and all of a sudden he is in the middle of this battle between Jesus and the Pharisees. And Jesus is like, hey, stand up here for a second. Like, you don't want to be called up in front of the church, right? You don't ever, like, who wants to be a sermon illustration? Not me. And so Jesus says, you know, is it better to save life or to take life? Well, there's only one problem with that. What's this guy suffering from? In the text, a deformed hand. Is his life at stake? No. So even more so, Jesus is not just asking, hey, is it better to save a life or take a life? Because this guy's life is not at stake. Jesus is simply pushing on the Pharisees. He knows they're there to criticize them. He knows they're there to test him. And so he sets up this false dichotomy. If you say, yes, it's better to uh, take a life on the Sabbath, well, then you've just violated the Sabbath rules. If you say that, hey, it's okay to, to, to endorse the Sabbath, well, then you're, you're getting behind what Jesus is doing and he, Jesus already knows they don't like him. And I don't know about like in your household, like I'm a dad, you know, and whenever my, my kids come up and they give me like, you either have to choose A or B, like that doesn't play very well in my house. Like don't force me to choose one or the other. But that's exactly what Jesus does to the Pharisees. Puts them right into a corner. And so it's an intense confrontation and we feel sorry for this guy and Jesus is like, hold out your hand and the guy holds up his hand. I don't know what it looked like, but it probably would have been a little bit humiliating for the guy. But Jesus is like, put it up in the air. And he says, you're healed, right? But if you ever read the gospels, it's even more interesting that Jesus does this in front of everybody because Jesus heals people in all variety of ways. And he could have taken the guy outside and done it privately. He could have said, Let's take care of your hand some other time. In fact, you notice the guy doesn't even ask for a healing. He's just there. And then, of course, obviously, the text. Jesus looks around at them angrily. 
and was deeply saddened by their hard hearts. And the Greek word there is not ambiguous. It is anger. It is almost rage. It is a very intense emotion. Jesus is pissed. Make no mistake about it. And at the same time, he's deeply saddened because he knows the game these guys are playing. And he's angry. Now, the text is not clear about what Jesus is angry about. He could be angry about the fact that this guy has a, a, you know, is suffering from some kind of brokenness in his body. He could be angry that they're testing him. He could be angry about any manner of things. For our purposes, we just need to know that Jesus was angry and that's okay. Because I think sometimes we get this image of Jesus that he just kind of floated around Judea like this hippie. And he was like, it's all cool, man. I just want to love the people. Just let the little children come to me and I'm going to hug them. And it's, everything's cool, man. And we ignore the fact that Jesus had very real emotions. That the text will tell you he had compassion. That sometimes he was sad. That sometimes he was happy. And sometimes, hello, he was angry. He was as fully human as it gets, and he experienced anger. And so what I wanted to start off today with is is to give you permission to be angry because Jesus was angry. And if Jesus was angry, then I think we need to start from the posture that says, well, okay, the text very clearly says that Jesus was angry. So maybe I'm not called to float through my life like some kind of Christian hippie that just says, hey, I'm just supposed to love anybody even though they really piss me off in traffic. But I gotta love them, right? Maybe we need to start from the position to go like, you know, actually, instead of being detached and kind of floating through life, we need to be willing to be engaged in life and to to feel all life has to offer us. All the feelings, all the feels that life throws at us, feel them, right? Because Jesus did. He felt things intensely. But we need to be careful with anger. Um, So let me show you what this means, right? I've told this to some people, and you've heard me say this maybe from the stage, but um, I have a reputation of being, you know, whatever this laid-back sort of artistic type, but I have a temper. And my family will tell you I have a temper, And I've had a temper for a long time. So I thought I would lead the way. If we're talking about being angry, I'm going to give you a little list of what makes Eric angry. I was just told by some of the people in the band that the list is a lot longer. (laughs) Evidently, they know me better than I thought they did. But I'm going to give you some of the things that are making me angry right now. March 13th. Number one, I get angry that pizza makes me fat. Okay? Because I love pizza. I love pizza, and I would eat, like if it was up to me, I would be out of here, and I would go straight to Momo's, and I would order like three slices, Momo slices, right? You know what I'm talking about, decent pizza slices. I'd have like two or three of them, and I'd be, but then later on, I'd be like, oh, no, and I got to run a whole bunch tomorrow to kind of run. I hate the fact that I can't eat the way I want to eat, especially getting older, right? I'm also angry that I can't watch German League professional soccer. This is me, it's not you, okay? This is my anger list. You have your own. 
okay? I can watch English Premier Leagues on Saturday. That's fine. But you can't watch German Soccer League unless you go through some crazy Eastern European sketchy website that's going to load your computer up with all manner of viruses and stuff. I get angry about political bumper stickers, all right? Now, don't get me wrong. It's not, it's okay. It's okay to support your candidate, right? That's not what, that's not what gets me. Although I do laugh at the people who like, they, they're still having a bumper sticker from like the, you know, like three election cycles ago and it was the loser, right? And they're like, and I'm like, do you just not know? Like that guy didn't win or whatever. It's, it's, it's not that, but the, 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 the bumper stickers that just kind of throw an opinion out there with no context, no dialogue. Again, this is my list, not yours. Makes me angry, all right? And then some, some more serious stuff. I get really angry about human slavery. I get really angry about child prostitution. I get angry that there are predators in the world that identify the most vulnerable and exposed members of our population on this planet and they victimize them and they destroy lives. I get angry about racism. I get angry that there are still in the 21st century people in this world who experience hatred and uh, violence because of the color of their skin. That makes me angry. And I get really angry as a dad. I get angry about school shootings. Now, I'm not saying the answer to any of these, or, or I'm not, we're not talking about that. I'm just telling you, this is what makes me angry. I, I get angry about the fact that I have to have a conversation with my, my daughter, you know, who's getting ready to go to college and my son in middle school, that I have to have conversations with them about what to do if a shooter comes on their campus. This makes me angry because I didn't have to have those conversations when I was a kid, right? And I know the, the solutions are complicated. Anger's a thing. This is what makes me angry, you know? And that's okay. Because let me tell you something about anger. Anger lets you know that something's wrong in the world. When you get angry about something, it usually means that something is not right in your world. And I would say it this way, that we have anger in the world because we have injustice in the world. So wherever you're at, you know, when you experience anger, anger is the God-given thing that, that is given to you to open your eyes and go, something's not right here. Now, it could be a one-on-one -on -one situation where you have been wronged or you've been insulted or you're not treated fairly, you are treated unjustly, and you experience this anger. That is God's gift to say, hello, something's not right in this world. Or it could be something really big like poverty or social inequality or whatever it is, and you're angry about it. But anger is the thing that God gives us to wake us up, to say there's something that's not right that needs to be fixed. Again, we don't know what Jesus saw that made him angry, but there's enough in the text that we could infer that Jesus is like, no, I'm angry that this guy is, is experiencing possibly the attitude of we're not gonna help somebody because there's a, a Sabbath law. And Jesus is like, no, 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 no. You gotta understand human beings and helping human beings is bigger than any rule, any law. I don't know. So wherever you have anger, you need to understand that first of all, it's an indication that something's not right in the world. But we need to be careful with this. 
Because some scholars, and, and I like this distinction, they would say there's a difference between anger and wrath. All right, now understand that this is just, this is just helpful categories. This isn't necessarily like, there's not any hardcore theological or biblical differences between the two, but I think it's helpful to distinguish. Anger is that thing that lets you know, bam, hello, something triggered my justice meter. Something needs to happen in this area. Wrath is where you just give yourself over to the rage and express it in an unhealthy way, all right? Let me put it this way. If your anger does not result in people loving God more and loving people more, that's wrath. The end result of anger as a Christian should always be that people love God more and people love each other more. And if your result is, I get what my way, I get to be right, what you might be dealing with more is wrath as opposed to anger. Anger is helpful. Wrath can be a little bit dangerous. And I wanna kind of just take a, take a look at, at how anger uh, and wrath can affect us because it's this God-given thing that we have. But has anybody ever been angry? All right, again, lots of liars in the room, but that's all right. You know, when you get angry, you know, like you, sometimes your, your face will get flushed, right? And sometimes you just get a little bit amped up and you're just kind of like, I, you know, with me, I, I lose the ability to think straight. And I'm a pretty clever person. You know, I write songs. I do a lot of writing. I'm good with words. But if, if someone used to insult me and get me angry, I become like, I can't even speak. I can't, the snappy comeback always comes like three hours later. Everybody ever have that situation? Well, you know why that is, right? Our bodies are designed to react that way. It's called fight or what? Flight. When you get angry, your body releases adrenaline so that you can be prepared to run from the bear or fight the bear. And what you lose is the ability to think clearly. So anger is this very dodgy thing that it tells us when something's wrong, but it also, in a way, changes who we are as people. And we lose a little bit of our humanity even because we lose the ability to think clearly. It's just what's going on in our body. It's what God's designed us for. So we lose a little bit. Anger takes something from us that way. And if we mess with anger, if we let it sit around for too long, anger also takes something else from it. It takes our joy. I wish I could tell the story that, you know, I've been walking with God for all this time and every Christian that I've ever met has, uh, uh, you know, that every older Christian I've ever met is like this love-filled, peace-filled person. But man, some of the angriest people I have ever met are older people who claim to follow Jesus. And it's like walking on a landmine, you know, you're just talking and then you say one thing and then all of a sudden they just unload on you. Anybody ever be around someone like that? And you're like, wait a minute, you follow this man, Jesus, you know, who, who has, who multiple times tells us to put away anger, who allows himself to be beaten and, and 
tortured and then nailed to a cross and yet you know you're 60 or 70 years old maybe and 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 you're so filled with rage that like I, I mean I know I've known people like this where actually you get afraid of physical violence right I mean I've been with somebody who was a pastor and something just tri- just got snapped inside of him and I know me and Shana both my wife we're like we were afraid for our physical health in the face of this person. Anger is this really touchy thing. God-given, but can degenerate into something that's pretty toxic. And I think uh, what we need to realize is that there's a logical question for some of those folks that if if we had time with them and we could calm them down enough, we would say, hey, um, so how did this happen? How did you get like this? Because anger, when it first comes into us, when we get angry about that injustice, let's be honest, anger serves a lot of good uh, purposes in our lives. I don't know about you, but anger motivates me, right? When I get angry about something, whether whether I get angry about the fact that my office is messy or I get angry about something that's just going on in my world, man, I get angry, stuff gets done. Anybody else like this? Like I get up out of my chair and I'm like, it's happening. I'm gonna have that conversation. I'm gonna clean this room, whatever it is. I get angry about it. Anger motivates, right? And let's be honest again. Anybody, would anybody admit that it's actually a little fun to be angry? Anybody be willing to be that honest? Sometimes it's fun when I get angry because you know, you know who's right when I'm angry? When I get angry, it becomes really about Eric. And between getting stuff done and between becoming really self-justified, it can become really addicting to be angry. Because I can look it around, I'm like, nobody knows how to drive as well as I do. You know? Or nobody, or nobody gets me. Or they were all, I would do this so much better than my boss would. My boss is Mark, so don't tell him I said that. <laughs> that really wasn't about Mark anyway. It's fun to be angry. But over time, something can happen in our lives and we end up going from anger as this gift that motivates us to get done in the world to potentially people that we know who are so filled with anger and rage that they sometimes don't even look human. And it's not the way to live as a Christian. Years ago, I, uh, I had this experience that has just always marked me. And I don't think I've ever really told anybody about it. Uh, I've, I've written about it. Um, I, some of you guys know I was born in western Pennsylvania. That's steel country. And, and my grandfather worked in a steel mill. My dad worked at a mill. My dad went into sales for the steel company. And one of the perks that we got um, was that, the, that I got to go work for the steel company over the summer. So when I was 17 or 18, and I would just travel around the country uh, I was living in Texas at the time. I flew up to Pennsylvania and spent you know, the summer in, in Pennsylvania traveling around um, the state. And they sold, uh, they sold steel signposts. So I would travel around with the county uh, sign construction guys, the guys that drive the trucks around and fix the stop signs and everything. And um, 
I went out with them. We were, um, we were a couple hours northwest of Philadelphia in the, sort of the center of the state, right where that red dot is. And we were out in the middle of nowhere, and they said, man, you know, wait till you see where we're going to take you today. You know, we, got to, we have got to go out on this county road, this state road, and it's going to be really mind-blowing. And so we drive up to this road, and we come up to this road that's just blocked off, right? And, uh, and, and looking around like there's a town that's just abandoned, you know? Um, and they said, get out and walk around and feel the ground, so I get out of the truck and we walk around and I put my hand down on the ground and the ground is, is hot. It's warm. And it smells like a petroleum uh, refinery in the air. But there's no petroleum finer, refinery anywhere. And, and I'm just walking around and the ground is like hot and I'm like, oh my gosh, you know, it's like this is the mouth of hell or something. I don't know. And, um, and here's the deal. Uh, this is a town what once was a town called Centralia, Centralia, Pennsylvania. And, uh, you know, abandoned houses all over the place. And what happened in Centralia was really interesting, and it marked me forever because about 1963, Centralia was never huge, but about 1963, early 60s, Centralia was a mining town. Pennsylvania has huge coal deposits and uh, somebody took some trash to the city dump. And as you do in rural areas, you know, they went out to the dump and they, they burned their trash, right? Everybody ever see that done like out in the country? You just burn your trash, no big deal. Except what these guys did is they didn't realize that the city dump was sitting on top of an exposed seam of coal. And so they, they burned their trash, just, a, just, just trash from a house, a little bitty fire. You know, you might have lit a fire this big in your backyard one time, just burned some leaves. But what happened was that exposed seam of coal caught on fire in 1963, and it's still burning today. And it went down into the ground, and it began to burn all the coal under the ground, and it began to emit all these fumes. And so it became, like, noxious to, to live there. And then all these sinkholes started to appear and people in Centralia couldn't stay there anymore because it, was, because it wasn't safe to live there. And what had happened was this little fire that someone just did uh, one time, it entered into this underground place that no one could tell what was going on. And it just burned and burned and burned until one day people woke up and were like, we can't live here anymore. That's what anger, that's what any of these actually seven deadly sins does. You play with it one time. You get angry about something one time. And here's the deal. You think that all you get, you're angry, you experience something, you experience something, you're, something is done to you, or you just get mad about something. The distinction with anger is that you think that if you just leave it alone, it goes away. But you know what it does? It goes deep inside your soul and it just starts to burn and it doesn't stop. And then one day you wake up and anger is who you are. And it goes from this little thing that you just said, oh man, I just got this little bitty thing that, that tweaked me. But if you don't deal with it, 
40 years now Centralia has been on fire. 10 people live there now. It's actually, I didn't realize this, it's actually the inspiration for uh, the video game and the horror movie Silent Hill. You ever heard of that movie? That's uh, Centralia is the inspiration for that. So how did this happen? How do people go from just being like normal, joy-filled people to people who are filled with rage? You don't deal with the anger in your life. That's how you get there because it just burns inside you. So as a Christian, as a Christ follower, I am obligated to deal with anger in my life. I'm obligated to not let it stay because the alternative is not worth it to me. So I wanna kind of end as we wrap up with some diagnostics. I wanna suggest to you that the way to deal with anger as a Christian is through self-awareness, honesty, and humility. Self-awareness just starts with naming it. You don't just repress things as a Christian. We're not called to be shiny, happy people, right? We're called to experience life. And sometimes experiencing life means saying, something is wrong, something has been done to me. I am hurt and I'm not gonna fake it. I'm not a shiny, happy person. I've experienced something real. And some of us, like this is a challenge for us. Some of us have been angry for a really long time and we don't even know why because we've forgotten. That's what good counselors are for. That's what good growth group leaders are for. Help me unpack my life. Dialogue with me about why am I, what was done to me that I'm so angry. But be self-aware. And then off, but uh, at the same time, be willing to be uh, honest because some of us are hurt and we had something to do with creating the situation that hurt us. I wanna be really clear. Sometimes you're just a victim, all right? A lot of evil is done in the world. But sometimes we take a step back and you go, you know what? If I was honest with myself, I, I had something to do with this situation. I'm willing to take responsibility for that. And then the last thing is to be, uh, have some humility. Um, and we have humility sometimes when we just sim simply say, uh, you know what? Life's not always fair. I don't always get what I want in life. I wish that when I signed on to be a Christian or to figure out this faith thing that God just said, okay, no more troubles for Eric. Bam. Anybody, has that been true to anybody? I don't always get my way in life. In fact, most of the time I don't. And if it was up to me when things go wrong in my life, when I become aware of something that makes me angry, if I had my druthers, I'd be like, okay, this is the part where I go fix it. You know, where I tell you, okay, this is wrong, you hurt me, so why don't you just fix that and we'll be all right. The only problem with that is that last time I checked, I am not God. And things go wrong in my life that I can't control. You don't get that promotion. You know, you don't get that scholarship. You don't, you don't get that job. Your relationship doesn't work out. Life breaks down. And we have this tendency when we feel that anger is to say, you know what, I can control this. I can fix it. And sometimes you just need to acknowledge it. You know what, I'm not God. Haven't been God for a long time. Probably never will be God. But there is a God. And just because I'm not getting my way in this doesn't mean that I can't trust him. So, 
There are certain realities uh, that are involved with dealing with anger. These are non-negotiables if you call yourself a person of faith. One of the reasons we have to deal with anger is because we are called to be people of forgiveness. You can't carry anger around forever. We're called to this act of forgiveness, this process of forgiveness. Now, part of that means sitting down with somebody sometimes and saying, you hurt me. This hurt me really bad, and you need to hear that. But you also need to be willing to walk the journey of forgiveness. There's a process some people, they, 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 they sit down, and, and I've done this before, where you're like, okay, I, I need to go through this process of forgiveness. I've got about 45 minutes, so all right, let's get this done. And sometimes forgiveness takes a day, week, month, year, many years. It's a process. But you have to at least be willing and open up your mind to say, I am called to be a person of forgiveness. I cannot let this anger stay in my life. I need to be going on this journey. We're also called as Christians to be people of freedom. And the crazy thing about anger is that you know who anger imprisons over time? You. You're the one who, who experiences the stress of the fight or flight syndrome all the time. You're the one who gets robbed of your joy. Anger imprisons you. You're called to live in freedom. So sometimes the most tangible way to experience freedom is to release the person that you've been angry about or the institution that you've been angry at for years and then you discover that actually what you've done is set yourself free. And then you're living in the life that you're called to live in, a free life. And then lastly, you're called to trust God. <laughs> Again, like... Uh, Sometimes what I discover is that when I'm really angry about something, it's because I'm trying to put my trust in myself and get the outcome that I want when that may not be the best outcome. And life isn't fair, but I know God is trustworthy. And that's a process for me. There's this great verse in the book of Romans. Maybe you've heard it. It says, vengeance is mine, says the Lord which sounds really ominous, right? And when we're wronged, boy, that's one of those verses where we're like, well, vengeance is mine, says God. I cannot wait till that person gets his vengeance. Next time I see them, I bet they're gonna be like crying and weeping and they're, I don't know. And then like the person shows up next, you know, Sunday with like a new car. And you're like, wait a minute. <laughs> you know? Vengeance is mine, says, says the Lord, but Lord says also repeatedly in the, in the Bible, I am slow to anger, rich in compassionate love. And so part of the process for me is like, you know what? God says that vengeance is his, but I need to let him sort out that vengeance and not pretend that I know what God's vengeance looks like. Because God's vengeance might be just to love that person and to love them into changing. And you're like, wait, wait, wait a minute, God, that's not the outcome I wanted. And God's like, yeah, but Eric, you're still not God. Okay, God. So I wanna leave you with three diagnostic questions, right? Because I think all of us struggle with this to one degree or another. And they're just simple questions that you might wanna just pause if anything has resonated with you today. Uh, the first question is this, how angry of a person am I? And if you really want to take this to the next level, you don't get to answer this question. Somebody close to you gets to answer this question. So you go to your spouse or you go to your close friend 
because I fooled myself for a long time as thinking that I was this really laid back dude until my wife and my family and close friends were like, have you ever ridden in a car with you? I'd be like, what, what, what? I'm not, what? Ask yourself and let your friends, your growth group leaders, your family, say, man, look, look, how angry am I? And they'll be like, let me tell you, you are not a pleasant person to be around. And hear it, receive it. Like the first step is like G.I. Joe, right? Knowing is half the battle. G.I. Joe reference, anybody? All right. Second question, am I willing to trust God for the things that I think are unfair in my life? Because some things you're not going to be able to fix because life isn't fair. And you have a choice whether to stay angry about those things forever and let that fire start to get into your soul and burn you up. Or you can take a step back and go, you know what, God, I don't understand this. It doesn't feel right. It doesn't feel fair to me. But God, I'm going to trust you. And I'm going to take care of my business and my side of the street. And I'm going to let you handle the rest, God. And then the last question, oh, and this is the good one. Is there someone or something that you need to forgive? Have you been angry at somebody or something for a long time? And if you were really honest, you were like, you know what? I might as well have Centralia, Pennsylvania plastered on my chest because it's there. The fire is burning inside me because there's a person or an institution that I have not forgiven it's a process and it's not easy but the alternative is to just let yourself be consumed with that and I don't think any of us really want that what type of person do you want to be at the end of your life you know do you want to be that rage I, I knew um, I just got a couple minutes I just want to tell you a story I've never shared this with anybody um, when I moved here, I, I got really, um, when I moved here, I, I got really depressed um, when I moved to Tallahassee. I went through about an 18-month time when I got really sad. And depression and anger, kind of they kind of go hand in hand. I got really depressed and I got really angry because uh, I, 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 life was not turning out the way I wanted it. I, I, I didn't like living in the South. Like I, I was honest. It was hard for me to live in the South. It was hard for me to live in a small town. And I gave myself over to that anger. And I thought I could handle it. I thought, this is me. I'm allowed to be frustrated, God. I'm allowed to be. But what God didn't tell me is like, Eric, you just let, it's burning. It's burning. And at one time, uh, my, my kids went to Kate Sullivan when we first moved here. And uh, I, I was picking them up. And I, I, I can drive real aggressive, okay? I can. And um, I was really angry about something one day. And there was a car parked on the side of the road. And Lord, help me if you actually know the person this happened to. And I, I, I pulled up in front of him and I was just gonna parallel park kind of in front of him. And I just like, I pulled way up and I slammed the car in reverse and almost as fast as I could, I just whipped the car straight back at this person as fast as I could. And, you know, cause I was, I'm, you know, I'm, I'm aggressive driver. I'm mad about life. And I got out of the car, walked, went to go walk up, and this woman was just in there. And she said, uh, she, I don't remember how, but she said, I have a heart condition. And I just thought you were about to run into my car going like 30 miles an hour. 
And she's like, what right do you have to drive that way? And I looked at this, and I'm a pastor, right? And I just kind of looked at this woman with this dead expression, and I was just basically like, sorry. And I walked off. But I'm so grateful because between that car and Kate Sullivan, God just tapped on my heart, and he said, what type of person do you want to be, Eric? Because I just gave you a glimpse into the type of person you're becoming. And if you keep going through this anger, if you let this stuff stay in your soul about how life isn't working out the way you want it to, you're gonna get angrier and angrier and you're, not gonna, you're gonna stop caring about humanity. And just in that one little instant, I opened up my eyes like, oh my God, forgive me. And, um, and, and I went up to walk and, I, and the woman got out of her car and she walked and, and I felt like an idiot. And I, I walked up to her, she was in front of the school and I just walked up to her. I don't know who she is. Did, I wouldn't recognize her today, I don't think. I just walked up and I was just like, I gotta tell you, I said, you're right. I said, I'm so sorry. I had no business doing that and I hope you forgive me. And she was still pissed, right? I couldn't, but I, I, but I was like, I, that, what an awful thing for me to do. And we laugh about anger and we use it to get things done. But let me tell you, it will eat your soul alive and it'll get it down in your spirit and it'll burn you up. And that's not a price that I'm willing to pay in my life. So let's try to not do that together, amen? Amen. Uh, the band's gonna come up. They're gonna play a song. Um, for you guys to just sit with this a little bit. And actually, I think I'm gonna ask you guys to go ahead and stand for closing prayer as we sing this song together. Let's pray together.